the evening of the first day of the week, the first day. It's the Sunday, it's the Sabbath has been now changed and modified because this is the day of life, the day of resurrection. He has already appeared to Mary Magdalene. She thought that she, he was the gardeners and now he's going to appear to his disciples. The disciples are up in the room and they've got the doors locked. They've got them locked for a very good reason. They're scared out of the wits. If, if this is what happened to the master, what will they do to us? Despite the locked doors, Jesus is going to appear. Jesus comes through them, looks at them, and the first words out of his mouth. And of course, what were the first words out of his mouth? Right after, ta-da, right after that. <laughs> right after that. Shalom. Shalom. Peace be with you. All I can say about that greeting is it's a good thing I wasn't Jesus. Because if I were Jesus and I had been teaching my disciples for three years and showing them by example what the gospel is about and how the Son of Man had to suffer and in my hour of need, every last one of you, one of you betrayed me, one of you denied me, the rest of you fled like babies except for John the baby the only one at the cross. If I came back, walked through the doors, and I looked at my disciples, the first thing I would say, where were you? Where were you when I needed you? Not an ounce. Not an ounce of recrimination. Not an ounce of blame. Not an ounce of, of pointing the finger. Shalom, shalom. He's, he's giving them peace because he's going to give them now some some marching orders. As my Father has sent me, I now send you. These are not just the marching orders of the disciples 2,000 years ago. These are our marching orders. But he's not going to send us out alone. He's not going to send us out to be on our own. Because the very next thing he does is, is this. He breathes on them. What's the breath? It's the breath of life. And the life that he has is nothing less than the breath of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that he has is nothing but the, the power of God. He is now taking his stuff and passing it on to his disciples. He's giving them what he has, what he's always had. And as he's giving them this incredible gift and giving us the gift as well, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now here's the power I'm going to give you. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. We got a double whammy power. The disciples have a double power. They have the power to forgive. They also have the power to hold on. We have that power as well. You know, we don't realize it very often, but I want to say it as explicitly as I can. You, every one of you, has the power to forgive sins, especially and most likely the sins of somebody who has sinned against you. I always say, 
you've all got the power to forgive sins for somebody who has directly hurt you. We, the only difference between you and us is we've got the power to forgive third-party sins, okay? We got that, that's, that's what was given to us as, as, as ordained or ones who are set aside to do that. But you have the power to let go of any hurt that you've received, any betrayal, any mockery, any gossip, any infidelity, anything that's kept you from being the person you are called to be. Because you have a choice. We all have a choice. We can either forgive and let go, or we can hold on. But let me tell you about holding on. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. You've got the power to hold on to the anger, the resentment, the betrayal, the denial, the hurt that somebody has caused you. But let me tell you what you're going to pay. One incredible price. Because at that moment, you've got to stand guard and every time that you are tempted to let go and you hold on, that pain, that hurt, that denial, that resentment is just as fresh as it was 23 years ago when it first happened. It's alive. It lives in you. We never kill anything of the spirit dead until we get it out and let it go. It stays alive and it festers. I, I, I once was met a, a woman who was very old. Her husband had long died, but she was getting very hard in her life. And I says, why, why are you in such pain? She says, my husband was unfaithful to me 30 years ago, and I've never forgiven him. And she's paid the price. She paid the price. That sin, as terrible as it was, was still affecting her, was still imprisoning her. She could not let it go. She said, I can't forgive him. And I said to her, I know. I know you can't. You, the human being, cannot forgive her. But you are not only you, the human being. You are the daughter of the Christ. And as the daughter of the Christ, the divine part of you absolutely cannot only forgive, but must forgive. To err is human. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, the, 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 the apostle is very, very clear about that. To err is human. To forgive is divine. It is a divine power that each and every one of us has. And let me tell you about this power. The power of forgiveness, and by the way, you do know this, and I've said this many times in this chapel, two-thirds of Jesus' teaching is all about forgiveness. The reason he keeps on saying it is because we don't get it. Forgiveness is not primarily about the person we are forgiving. Now, we do set them free. It's about us. It is, it is enlightened self-interest. I forgive because it sets me free. If I hold on, I am not set free. Oh, can you imagine a world that was filled with forgiveness to let go and not grasp and hold on? I dare say most of the pain of the world is because we cannot let go. We choose to hold on to what we think we believe. You know, that was Thomas's problem. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared. I got a smile because it's seven days later and the doors are still locked. I kind of wonder what they've really learned. Because the doors are still locked. 
But Jesus, again, walks through. This, this is a resurrected body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. And you've heard me preach on bodily resurrection, that matter matters, material is good. It is the material world in which the spirit is imbued and imbibed, and the two become one in an incredible way. And the matter may form, the form may change. Sister Pat's form has changed. Her body is now lying in state and in rest, but her spirit will live forever and ever and ever. That's the incredible thing that's going on inside the body. So he comes through the walls and he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Take your finger, put it in the nail holes. By the way, the first thing that he showed to his disciples were his wounds. They were no longer painful, killing wounds. They were now glorious wounds. These are his proof of purchase. He shows from the side, put your fist in my side. Do not persist in your unbelief, Thomas, but believe. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Thomas is believing because he sees. We have a see, saying that says seeing is believing. But now with chat GPT, there is nothing you can believe that you see. Nothing. The truth is, believing is seeing. And he says, oh, Thomas, you believe because you saw. How blessed are those who do not see physically, but believe and see spiritually. See beyond. And I tell the, the children when I'm teaching them the first communion class along with their parents, and I hold up one of the unconsecrated hosts, I says, you see this? I said, this is going to become the body of Christ, and you're going to make a statement of belief every time you walk up. I said, this looks like bread. It tastes like cardboard. But it's not. It's the body of Christ. And you say, Amen. And Amen says, I believe. Uh, once in a while, one of you will say, the body, I will say the body of Christ, and you will say, we are. Oh, you are. Because you are what you eat. We become what we consume. And if we dare to say amen to that, it means I believe. It looks like bread, tastes like something else, but it's not. It is the body of Christ. Why? Why is that so important? Because if we could see it here, then we can learn how to see it here. And the moment we can see it here, in the eyes of everyone, of the stranger, of the orphan, of the widow, of the enemy, Oh, now we've really learned how to, to see. If we dare to believe that the divine spark is in all of creation, especially in those with whom we come in contact every day, and the ones we don't even want to look at in the eye, when we can see that, now we are acting as the Christ. As my Father has sent me, now I send you. These are our marching orders. We are called to live them.